Not long ago, early one morning, uh, I was walking in my backyard. And I just, I don't even remember why I was back there, but I was walking around my backyard and I looked down and my left foot landed right beside a snake. Now, I'll just tell you this about your pastor. I will never be a snake handling preacher. <laughs> Ever. I don't like snakes. And, and here's what happened. When, when I was walking around, I came around actually my storage building. I came around the building like this and my left foot landed right beside that snake. Folks, I began dancing like you wouldn't believe. And I yelled. I mean, I, I, mean, I yelled. And I was high-stepping and dancing and trying to get away from that snake. My heart was pounding. I finally, you know, kind of ran a little bit and got away from it. And once my heart rate settled back down, I decided to go back and find that snake. I slowly approached it. I wanted to send it to its eternal home. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, it was still there. And I actually took a picture of it. Let me show it to you. That's a stick. That's a stick. Now you got to watch those stick snakes. They're dangerous. <laughs> they, they say that perception is reality. But I think I disagree. Because perception and reality sometimes are two very different things. My perception told me that my left foot had just landed beside a snake. When in reality, it was nothing more than a stick. It's interesting that Jesus once told the story about perception and reality. It's found in Luke chapter 18, if you want to open God's Word with me. Luke chapter 18. We were in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18 last week as we began this new summer series called The Great Storyteller. The series that we're looking at seven of the 30 parables that Jesus told. Last week we looked at the parable of the persistent widow, verses 1 through 8 in Luke chapter 18. And I told you last Sunday that a parable is simply a story with a point. Simply a story with a lesson. And we learned that parables in general usually only have one lesson. They only have one point, generally speaking. For example, in chapter 18, verse 1, we read this last Sunday. Then Jesus told His disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And there's the one point. There's the lesson. And we talked about this last Sunday. You should always pray and not give up. And if you weren't here last Sunday, I would encourage you to go back and get online and, and to watch that message and listen to it. Now today's parable is another story about prayer. But this time it has a totally different lesson. So we ended last week in verse 8. Today we start in verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Another parable, another story about prayer, but with a different lesson. Verse 9 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. One of the interesting things about this parable is that we're told at the very beginning who the intended audience is. Uh, that's quite unique in some of the parables that Jesus told, that we're actually given the audience. We're, we're told who the audience is. Now, it does not say, listen to this carefully, it does not say that He told this parable about those who were confident of their own righteousness. That's not what it says. Look at the text again. 
it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. In other words, he told this parable not about those kind of people. He told this parable to those who were confident in their own righteousness. He looked them in the eye and he told them a story about perception and reality. Now, I don't have a fancy outline for you today. We're just going to walk through the story. And so, first of all, let me give you the setting of the story. You find it in verse 10. The setting of the story is this. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Here's the setting. Two men go to the temple to pray. Two Jewish men go to the temple to pray. Now, there were three scheduled times of prayer at the temple in Jerusalem. You could go pray at the temple at 9 a.m., you could go at noon, or you could go at 3 o'clock p.m. Those were the three scheduled times where the people would gather to pray. But it, the temple was also open at other times for private prayer. If you wanted to go just privately and pray at the temple, uh, it was open for that as well. And that seems to be the case in this story. I want you to notice the two people who went to that temple to pray that day. Jesus says, first of all, one was a Pharisee. A Pharisee is somebody you would expect to be there. Because of the lifestyle of the Pharisee, the commitment of the Pharisee, and we'll talk about that in a few moments, but because he was a very religious man being a Pharisee, you would expect him to be at the temple to pray. Nothing surprising about that. But the second person in verse 10 that is at the temple is a little bit surprising. He was a tax collector. Now, you would not expect him to be there, nor would you want him there if you were a Jew. Because you would view that tax collector as both a thief and a traitor. You see, he worked for the Roman government. Though he was a Jew, he worked for the Roman government. And he would collect money from his Jewish brothers to give to the Roman government. He would collect taxes from them to give to to the the Roman government. So he was viewed as a thief and he was viewed as a traitor because he was taking money from the Jews and giving it to the Romans. And so, here's the two people that went to the temple to pray that day, they were on two extremes of Jewish society. They were the opposite ends of a religious perspective, a religious spectrum, if you will. They could not have been more different, these two men. The perception would have been, if you're you're sitting in the stands that day, the perception would have been that one of these guys was righteous, and one of these guys was not. And it wouldn't be hard to tell which was which. So if you're in the stands of the temple, though they didn't really have stands, but if you're in the stands of the temple and you saw these two guys coming in to pray, it'd be pretty easy for you in your mind from perception to pick out the righteous one and to pick out the unrighteous one. So that's the setting. Now, let's talk about the prayer of the Pharisee, verses 11 and 12. Uh, We actually have the recorded prayer that he prayed, and here's what it says, verse 11. The Pharisee stood up which is the common way to pray in that day, standing. He stood up and prayed about himself. Some of the translations actually says he prayed to himself. And regardless of the translation, it seems to be that he's really talking more to himself and about himself than he is talking to God. He really had no need to pray to God for anything because remember, here was a man who was confident of his own righteousness. He was very confident of his own righteousness. So though he went to the temple to pray, he was not at the temple to pray because he was in need. He was at the temple to pray because he wanted to tell God how good he was. 
In fact, if you read his prayer, it's recorded verses 11 and 12, you read his prayer, you'll see that he only mentions God one time in the prayer. And he mentions himself five times in the prayer. You see, the thrust of the prayer is this, I'm thankful, God, that I'm not like other people. And then he mentions some of those sinners he's thankful he's not like. The robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers. And he says, or even like this tax collector. The implication is this. He was saying, God, I am thankful that I am a morally upright man. Now look at how he says it. Luke chapter 18, verses 11, or verse 11. Look what he says. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, or adulterers. In other words... I am financially honest in all of my dealings. I'm not like the robbers. I'm just in in my business, the way I conduct my business. I'm not an evildoer. I'm faithful to my wife. I'm not an adulterer. Here he was saying that he was a morally upright man. I'm not like other people. I'm a morally upright man. Not only was he a morally upright man, he was also a religiously devout man. Very religiously devout. Look how he is described in verse 12. He says, I fast twice a week. Now, I don't know if you've ever fasted or not, but fasting twice a week is, is not easy. The, Jewish, uh, the Mosaic Law only required that the Jews would fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. Just once a year. Here was a man who was so religiously devout, he and other Pharisees like him would always fast on Monday and Thursday. Monday and Thursdays were the two days of the week that they would fast. So, here's a Pharisee, religiously devout, fasting two days a week. And he says also, oh, by the way, God, also I give a tenth of all that I get. And again, he was required to give a tithe of what he earned. But he said, I give a tenth or I give a tithe of not just what I've earned, but of everything that I get, I give a a tenth of that. But here's what you need to understand about this man. When he went to the temple to pray, He went to tell God how good he was. Watch this. And from his perspective, remember we're talking about perspective and reality. From his perspective, he was really, really good. As he looked at his life, he was really, really good. And he told God how good he was. That's why it says in verse 9 that Jesus told this parable about those who were confident of his own righteousness. Now, let's talk next about the prayer of the tax collector in verse 13. What's the very first word, at least in the NIV? What's the very first word of verse 13? But. It's a word of contrast. But. There was another man in the temple. There was another man praying. He was very, very different from this Pharisee. The Bible describes him as standing away from others. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He was standing away from others and he, would, he could not even convince himself to lift his eyes toward heaven as he prayed. Which would have been the normal way to pray in that day. We pray with our eyes closed. We pray with our heads bowed. And that day, you would lift your eyes you, or you'd lift your head and you would look toward heaven and you would talk to God. That's the way you would pray. Not this man. We bow our heads in reverence. He bowed his head in shame. He could not even look towards heaven. Some of you may know what that kind of shame feels like because you know your sin better than anybody, don't you? You know your sin. 
You know what you've done or what you failed to do. You are sometimes haunted by your sin. That was this man. In fact, he was so haunted by his sin, the Bible says he was beating his chest repeatedly. Look at the text, verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He couldn't convince himself to raise his head up. But beat his breast. And when you read that in the New Testament, the tense of that phrase is that he beat his chest repeatedly. It was a sign of just great remorse. It was a sign of of sadness and conviction. It was a sign of, of actually hating who he was and what he had done. And he was beating his chest as he talked to God in shameful prayer. The tax collector was literally punishing himself. Punishing himself for the wrong things he had done. Punishing himself. All of those things that he had done that he now can't undo. Punishing himself for all of those things that he had done that he cannot forget. Unlike the Pharisee, he didn't have any good deeds to declare. He had not lived a good life and he knew it. So his prayer was very brief. But it was very sincere. And here's what he prayed. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Remember the Pharisee? He was confident of his own self-righteousness. This man was confident of his own sin. In fact, in some of your translations, it reads this way. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. As if he was the worst one. See, here was a man, as he was praying in the temple, he's not trying to barter with God. Here is a man who is begging God for forgiveness that he does not deserve. He knows he doesn't deserve it. That's why his head is bowed in shame. That's why he's beating his chest as he... Ask God for mercy. He knows he doesn't deserve what he's asking for. Then there is a twist. As so often is the case in parables, there is this twist that grabs our attention. Before we read the text, before we look at the twist, let me tell you one other thing about, that you need to know about parables. Each week I'm trying to teach you a little bit more about what parables are. The one thing I want to show you today about parables is this. The parable, and this might sound self-evident, but, or very evident, but, but just listen to it. The parable as Jesus used it were always spoken, not read. Uh, very evident in verse 1, chapter 18, verse 1. Jesus told His disciples a parable. Verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. The parables that Jesus taught were always spoken. They weren't read or studied. Now why does that matter? Because the impact of the parable was immediate. The impact of the parable was something you you heard. It was not something that you read for a couple of times and then you got some insight. It was not something that you studied for a few days and then you got some insight. No, the parables were not read. They were not studied. Thankfully, we get to read them. We get to study them. But in, for the original audience, the parable was spoken. The parable was intended to grab your attention as a 
one particular truth would flash into your mind like lightning in a dark sky. It was something that they heard that grabbed their attention. It was something that they heard that shocked them. It was something that they heard that made them go, oh, wow. I want you to think about, imagine how shocked the people were to hear these words. Verse 14. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. You've heard this parable multiple times probably. That didn't catch you by surprise. Imagine hearing this for the first time. Perception is the Pharisee is the one who is righteous. In reality, Jesus said, the one who went home forgiven is the tax collector. There's the twist. The one you would expect to go home forgiven didn't. The one who didn't deserve God's forgiveness got it. Here's the lesson. If I could summarize everything, here's the lesson. It's this. Forgiveness is not God's reward to good people. It is God's gift to sinful people. That'd be a good place for us all to say amen. We are all sinful people. We are all sinful people. Now let's just use our, our divine imagination for just a moment. I, I just want to paint a picture for you. Simon Peter, one of the apostles, certainly was there that day. Simon Peter certainly heard that parable. And he heard the twist. It grabbed his attention, I'm sure, like it did everybody else. Shocked him and surprised him like it did everybody else. Let's just imagine for a moment Peter going home. Peter was married, by the way. The Bible tells us that. The Bible doesn't tell us the name of his wife. So I'm going to give her a name. Let's just call her Martha. That's a good biblical name. So he goes home and, and he says, Martha, honey, you're never going to believe what the teacher said today. Well, what did he say, Pete? Well, well, he told this story like he always does. He, he told this story about two guys that went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. You know, a, a good guy. One, one was a tax collector. And you know how we feel about tax collectors. Well, they both went to pray, and, and he told the story about how the, the Pharisee prayed a very good prayer, and then the, the tax collector prayed a prayer, and all he said was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Martha, you're not going to believe this, but the teacher said, he's the guy who went home forgiven. Just imagine Martha looking at him for a moment and said, Pete, that doesn't even make sense. And Peter said, I know. I know. But I thought too. Can I say to you that from a logical standpoint, grace does not make sense. From a mere human perspective, mercy does not make sense. What makes sense is, from our human perspective, remember there's perspective and reality, what makes sense from our human perspective is the one who goes to church and is the good guy, he's the guy who goes home forgiven. That makes sense to our minds because we so often think of righteousness based on merit 
what I've done to earn it, what I've done to be good, what I've done to, to get my badge. We think of righteousness based on merit. But we never anticipate the story that Jesus told about this man who went to church, he went to the temple, he went to pray, he didn't deserve anything from God, yet he was begging God for mercy, and Jesus said, and here's the twist, that's the guy who went home forgiven. Now, let me explain to you why mercy and grace doesn't make sense from a human perspective. It doesn't make sense because we're so conditioned to think that good people go to heaven. I don't want to blow up your your mind here, but good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. We're so conditioned to think in terms of morality and goodness and look at what I've done. But ladies and gentlemen, you cannot understand forgiveness unless you realize, listen to this now, follow carefully, you cannot understand forgiveness unless you realize that there is actually a righteousness that comes from God rather than a righteousness that comes from within. You see, Jesus gave us this parable to show you and me that self-righteousness is fake righteousness. There is no such thing as self-righteousness. Because my Bible tells me in Isaiah that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags in the eyes of a holy God. My Bible tells me in in Romans chapter 3 that there is none righteous. No, not one. There's no such thing as self-righteousness, at least from God's perspective. You see, the thing, listen to me. Those watching online, listen to me. The thing that moves the heart of God is our willingness to put our faith in His goodness rather than in our goodness. You know why the Pharisee went home the same way that he came to the temple? He was still trusting in his own righteousness. And he was pretty proud of it. You know why the old tax collector went home forgiven? Because he was putting his faith in God's goodness instead of his own. Let me show you this in Scripture, lest you think I'm misleading you. I want you to go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, look at verse uh, 5. Here's what it says. We're going to read this slowly and maybe repeatedly. However, verse 5, however, to the man who does not work, that is, he works for his righteousness, he, he does good works trying to be a good person. However, to the man who does not work, but instead of working for goodness and righteousness, however, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as what? Righteousness. A couple of things I want you to note in that verse. First of all, it says, God justifies the wicked. That's underlined in my Bible. God justifies the wicked. Ladies and gentlemen, the only reason you have hope of heaven is because God justifies the wicked. That's our only hope, is the mercy of God. 
God justifies the wicked. And it says, here's the reason He justifies the wicked. is because His faith is credited as righteousness. I wish I had time to preach that whole verse, but let me just say it to you this way. People are declared righteous because of their faith, not because of their good works. It is your faith that moves the heart of God. And when you put your faith in God, in His mercy and His grace, God credits to your account righteousness. You see, that's why I said it is a righteousness that comes from God, not a righteousness that comes from within. Faith is believing and trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Faith is believing that God will give us the free gift of salvation if we'd simply trust in Him. So two guys went to the temple to pray. One prayed about how good he was. And the other prayed about how bad he was. And he asked God for mercy. And Jesus said, don't tell you something. That's the guy. That's the guy who went home forgiven. So that brings us to a choice in verse 14. It's a choice that every one of us have to make. And, and here's the way Jesus spoke about it. Going back to Luke 18, verse 14. I tell you the truth, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. And here's the choice. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, when you choose to humble yourself before God, you position yourself to receive His mercy. And when you don't humble yourself before God, you go home without your sins being forgiven. See, in the parable, they both went to the temple and they both went home. One went home a different man. And one went home satisfied with his own righteousness. Sir, you will never go to heaven in your own righteousness. I don't care how moral of a man you are. I don't care how much you have served God. You will never go to heaven on your own righteousness. Ma'am, there is no way that you can go to heaven based on your good deeds, no matter how good you may be, because all of our righteousness compared to a holy God is like garbage. Our only hope is to pray like the tax collector. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The thing that moves the heart of God is not when you say, look how good I am and all that I've done. The thing that moves the heart of God is to say, my faith is in your goodness rather than my goodness. My faith is that you are a God of mercy. And you are a God of grace. And I am asking you for something I do not deserve. And Jesus said, that's the guy who leaves church forgiven. That's the choice. Would you bow your heads with me? 
Every head bow. Every eye closed. The choice is yours. And it's a choice we all make. The choice we're all faced with. Can I say to you that there is a righteousness that comes from God. It is not a righteousness that comes from within. And if you've never experienced that, then you've never experienced true salvation. If you focused on a righteousness from within, a righteousness that you can produce, you are still in your sin. And you are lost. Only the righteousness that comes from God is the righteousness that brings about forgiveness. And that righteousness is given to us when we put our faith in God and what Christ did for us on the cross. I'm going to ask you to do that right here, right now. And those watching online, you can do it as well as you turn from your sin and just pray a prayer much like that tax collector did. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Put my faith in your goodness rather than my goodness. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. The righteous for the unrighteous, as it says in 1 Peter. I believe Christ died on the cross for my sin. The righteous for the unrighteous. And that's me. And by faith, I claim it. And the Bible says when you do that, it is credited to your account as righteousness. Your faith is credited as righteousness. Faith. Are you going to leave today like the Pharisee? Or are you going to leave today like the tax collector? Father, thank You for Your goodness, Your mercy that none of us deserve. Thank You that You have provided for us what we could never provide for ourselves through the death of Jesus Christ. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.